irrespective of what causes the anxiety, uh, there are a lot of things that we can do. And knowing that the physiology, our physiology changes instantaneously, almost instantaneously when anxiety shows up, uh, we can use our physiology to help to settle uh, the anxiety that we're feeling. And Welcome to the Grow Tribe. I'm Melissa McGowan and I have been supporting teams and people grow for over two decades. So it might sound like I have it all figured out, but that is far from the truth. In my early 40s, I experienced my great energy crisis. It brought me to my knees. I was living and leading in survival zone, either doing or feeling healthy, but never at the same time. For myself, my family and my career, I realized I needed to make some changes and my biggest learning was to manage my energy. I felt more connected and alive and I became the practicing chief energy officer of my life. And this is where the real growth started. I needed a tribe. I looked up and I realized I was not alone and neither are you. Go to Grow is about connection with real and messy growth. The failing, the learning, the healing, the vulnerability, the bravery, and the aliveness, not just the glossy outcomes. will help you connect the dots between your energy and the impact you desire to have in your life. Our guests help create space for you to grow. They provide insights, inspiration, and information. We'll call them the practicing chief energy officers of their lives too. Go to Grow helps you navigate the rocky road towards greater growth for you. Hello everyone and welcome back. I am feeling very curious this morning and really looking forward to getting into a topic that so many of us have either had first-hand experience with or perhaps our family, our team at work, and that is anxiety. And I am joined by an expert in this area today, Dr. Jody Richardson, who's going to really help us pull it apart a little bit. Now, I know that many of you, like me, have a deep interest in the connection between what we feel in our body, those things we feel, and then those emotions that we attach to that, and then how that impacts, well, everything, right? How we show up in our work, how we are with our family, excuse me, I need a little bit of tea, and absolutely our performance, So our whole kind of satisfaction in life is so impacted by how we feel. And I'm really, you know, looking forward to understanding that, you know, more today from Jodie. So Jodie, I would love to welcome you to the Grow Tribe. Oh, thank you, Melissa. It's such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And Jodie, how are you this morning? I'm going to go on mute for a minute and have a cough because I need to get a (laughs) cough. But how are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm great. I've uh, got the house to myself. The house is peaceful. The kids are at school. All is in order. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a non-exercise morning for me, although normally I would have walked the dogs, uh, but uh, I need a bit more time than I would have allowed uh, with the, with the podcast uh, timing. So I'll do that later today. So yeah, I, I don't, actually go and do anything any of my uh, crossfit on a thursday morning it's just a rest morning for my body which is lovely oh that's so good you you've got that um rest recover and renewal situation under control which is great and i was going to ask you if you had to pick one word to describe your energy this morning what would it be oh i'd say it would be a just a calm energy this morning for me. I feel really relaxed. I am very comfy in my new pink jumper that I'd shattered myself for Mother's Day. I've got my Uggies on. I'm very relaxed and warm and comfy and loving having a, a conversation with you. So yeah, that's how I feel this morning. It's a really, really nice feeling actually. Well, settle in everyone because let's um let's get a little bit of that vibe happening, hey? How amazing. Mm-hmm. We all need to find these pockets of space in our day, whether it's 
you know, sitting down with a cup of tea for 10 minutes, listening to a podcast, just doing little things to help find a little bit of spaciousness and energy certainly is contagious. I'm guessing it's even contagious through a podcast. So um, we will enjoy that energy. <clears throat> Gosh, excuse me. Now, Jody, another question that I love to ask people is I'd love to hear about some wins you've had over this last week or so. Oh, what a great question. Do you know, for the first time this week, I've, 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 been, I've, I've been connecting with a, a couple of women and we're keeping each other just uh, not, not accountable really, but we just keep keeping each other inspired to sort of really move forward with our work each week. And and one of the women is a, a, a coach very similar to yourself. And so even though we're not in a coaching group, we're a friendship group, She's uh, been really asking us to answer this question. And so I've been keeping a bit of a track. So, uh, you know, some of my wins this week, um, probably my biggest win uh, I'm really excited to share with you was an invitation to become an ambassador for Australia Reads. And I am just so honoured and feel so privileged to have been invited. Uh, And this is an initiative that is uh, asking you know people like me who just love books and libraries and reading and writing and and learning and uh, you know the the difference that books makes make in people's lives to to share that and to really help inspire people of all ages across the country to read more books more often. So that is just probably the biggest highlight of my week so far, and I've been really productive. I like you. I am well. I am on my way to becoming a podcaster. Uh, I've, uh, I'm actually doing Seth Godin's podcasting workshop and I'm learning some new software and, and, uh, that's very exciting and also developing some new options for the schools that I work with to, to give them different options in terms of how they can work with me and how I can best support them to support their teachers and parents and kids with anxiety. So it's been a really good week this week. What I love is I can just hear it in your voice, right? This practice of capturing wins big and small and just acknowledge them to ourselves so many people that I've worked with for so many years are like what's next give me the next thing what's next week what's the next project and we forget just the power of these small wins Mm. say a little bit more and I do see you've got a little friend there in the background gorgeous if my (laughs) kid saw that border collie they'd be like you know demanding that we get one right now say a little bit more about how you and these accountability buddies kind of work together because that is such a powerful thing to have in your kind of on your radar, isn't it? And in terms of not just productivity, but also support uh, in both directions. It's, it's extraordinary. Uh, we've met once in person. We we're all in Victoria. And so we found a central location and booked a, a co-working space for the day, which was just a really beautiful experience to actually meet in person after having corresponded over LinkedIn and, and over Zoom. And yeah, so now we, we stay in touch in a group chat and <clears throat> and we've scheduled uh, two monthly catch-ups. And so, you know, one of the unexpected outcomes of it is the idea of when, you, when you're asked by somebody to sort of share what it is, like you've just asked me, share what it is that you've been doing and just to hear them share what they've been doing you you become really inspired by super productive people and you you see how they're you know been investing their time and energy and and also it inspires it's inspired me to to be more productive to be more likely to keep track of what I'm actually doing with my time so I'm, I'm actually noting throughout the week you know some of the big things that I'm ticking off as I go through and giving me an opportunity to share that and and it is it it sort of does, it makes you feel really good it, it you're exactly right with what you said about the goalposts moving and you know in my life <clears throat> I've been a a very achievement oriented person and very driven and my brother and I often sort of talk to each other very much the same we say where did this come from you know where did this come from and and, you know, it's very much uh, one of my values is a love of learning and, gosh, and, and achievement is one of the core tenets of our well-being. When, when we look at the, the PERMA well-being model, you know, it is important for us. And so often we do, we achieve something, but we don't stop like, you, like you've said today. We don't stop to 
acknowledge that this is something we've been working towards, this is something to celebrate, and this is something, you know, that we we can take a few minutes or a, a few hours or a few days or, you know, to be proud of and to to, to enjoy and, and savour before turning our attention to the next <clears throat> big thing, the next shiny thing, uh, you know, that might start to glimmer for us. And and it is that the way it makes you feel is is uplifted energized yeah. excited and proud and inspired so why wouldn't we why don't we do this more often it's a self-fulfilling <clears throat> kind of you know reinforcing cycle if you like and you know this is what i this is what i teach people you know i developed a system for myself a number of years ago after realizing that the way i was working and living wasn't sustainable it was either kind of deliver at work or feel sort of healthy and vital and alive in life and rarely both at the same time. And so quite simply, you know, and, and you clearly are, a, you know, like me, a practicing chief energy officer and chief energy officer stands for CEO. And in my, my language, mm-hmm. it's choosing, it's energy and it's outcomes. Mm-hmm. And it's in that order. Like we're being intentional. We're making some choices about where we are spending our energy and our time so that we are achieving and then we get that you know reinforcing loop and when we talk about achieving or outcomes they're not just the work ones they're recognizing that there are things outside of work that energize us and what i teach is a it's a combination of mindsets but absolutely also a system to help make that happen because we need support and we need to practice it and and prioritize each week and learn oh, I'm still trying to do too much here or, you know, my most productive time is actually there and I need to protect my energy then. And certainly some healthy accountability um, in the way of sort of shared, you know, inspiration and support is so powerful. And I have some women that I connect with and we talk about these things as well, like maybe 90-day goals. Um, I've just been uh, reading the book, The One Big Thing, you know, which really challenges us to, you know, to take an approach of like, you know, 80, 20, um, but then even further down to really disproportionate focus on what is that one big thing. So, you know, the point is we want to feel energized, but we, but we recognize that part of that energy comes from delivering, like delivering the goods in what is important to us and the impact we want to have in this world. So, yeah, we're, we're on the same page there. And I had to laugh because when you mentioned that you were an achiever, I um, was looking at Instagram, of course, the other day, and I saw a post that said, high achievers go to therapy. <laughs> and it was talking about kind of understanding and challenging, you know, the stories around the achievement focus and where that mm. perhaps doesn't serve us. And that did make me think about uh, our discussion today. So maybe you could... Help um, us and start out by breaking down this sort of concept and, and of anxiety because for all the reasons that we know, it's coming up now in conversations daily and weekly. You know, people are using that term a lot, like I'm feeling anxious. And I do wonder if if it's something we need to just sort of stop and really understand a little bit again because we had an episode Uh, some time ago on emotional intelligence and really kind of that notion of there are so many different things going on in the in the emotional spectrum and really naming it to tame it and not always just using I think we talked about the word stress for example Mm. so yeah please help us um, understand anxiety a little bit more maybe as a starting point Jodie oh I'd love to and you know I think in in light of what you were just saying Mel that you know, sometimes we do need to extend our vocabulary as well in that, you know, if we, yes, we do feel anxious and anxiety is a really normal human reaction, a human emotion, but also there are times we feel a sense of anticipation or we feel a little bit nervous or we feel some tension. And, you know, there, there are lots of different uh, emotions that we can use to name how we feel. And sometimes anxiety is used uh, and it's absolutely the case. And other times, different words might be more appropriate and you know I I work a lot with parents and you know when it comes to uh, our children like you say you know name it to tame it and you know the whole brain child taught us exactly that you know if we can put a name to it we can start to sort of process it and so helping our kids understand what they're feeling and have a broad range of words to choose from is really important so obviously you've you've addressed that in your uh, emotional intelligence episode 
But anxiety, you know, to define anxiety, what it is, is it's our brain and our body's response in anticipation of a threat. Okay, so I'll say that again. It's our brain and our body's response in anticipation of a threat. And I like to use an example from my childhood that really helps to help people discern between fear and anxiety because a lot of the time we'll say we, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway and, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm not doing it out of fear. Fear's holding me back. But it's, it's actually really, most of the time, it's anxiety. If fear's holding you back, that's a good thing <laughs> because fear is the response to a real and present danger. So I'll share a little story. When I, when I was a, a kid, uh, once a week, uh, which was very generous. I, I don't let my kids do this weekly. But once a week, we'd get a little bit of money in our pockets, my brother and I, and we'd get to head to the local milk bar to buy some lollies. And you know, when you're a kid growing up in the 80s, you know, a little bit of money in your pocket goes a long way. And we'd cut through this block of land that, uh, that was vacant to get to the milk bar from our home. And I remember one day uh, walking through this block of land and getting swooped by a magpie. And we both did. We both got swooped. And, you know, we were very fearful in that moment of being injured. You know, you put your hands on your head and you run like heck to try to find some sort of cover. So that's that's fear. That's an instinctive response and a protective response in a moment of danger. Whereas the next time I'm walking to the milk bar... I'm feeling anxiety because I'm anticipating that threat. Now, the magpies weren't there regularly. And so, you know, they weren't there. There was no actual threat, but the anticipation of that threat was the anxiety that I would feel. And so we'd often go around the long way uh, just to avoid that, which is, you know, part and parcel with anxiety. So, you know, when, when we start to feel anxious it's a very physiological it's a it is actually a physiological response and everything in our body when we feel anxious is being powered up to help us to fight if there is actually a threat or to flee and you know know, most of your listeners will be familiar with the fight or flight response and so when we feel anxious it it feels pretty awful It, it feels horrible in our bodies and it impacts our physiology, you know, from our nose to our toes. You know, we we, we have worries in our head. We have uh, we can have numbness and tingling in our arms and legs as we're being powered up with adrenaline and cortisol. Uh, blood's being moved from our stomach to help, you know, uh, power up our muscles, our big muscle groups for movement. So we can fight or flee. Uh, our legs can feel different. Uh, we can start to sort of laser focus in on, on the threat and so it can affect our vision. Uh, we can start to sweat because if we're about to fight or flee, we're darn well going to get warm so the cooling mechanisms turn on. So, yeah, that, that's what anxiety is. It's, it's a very natural human emotion. It's protective. But, you know, for those of us, me included, who have, a, you know, an anxiety disorder... Uh, we have a part of our brain that's really sensitive to threat and, and we detect, our brains detect threat where there isn't any. And we go through this whole physiological change, uh, you know, under circumstances that other people around us, you know, are very relaxed and comfortable. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult challenge for a lot of people. So, Jody, so many of us are dealing with this now, particularly... Um, in light of all the, you know, very real and present fears that have been circling in this last year. Um, Many of the leaders listening, you know, are trying to keep things moving forward and stay grounded in the face of those fears and and manage themselves and their teams or likewise, you know, parents at home with their families. But people, um, you know, it's almost like we need to expect that people are perhaps more anxious than usual. So perhaps some tools to understand and and help us think about like the root of this anxiety and i love your um your magpie analogy that's really been very helpful but yeah Mm. is it is it important for us to understand where the anxiety is coming from (laughs) we do want to know where the anxiety is coming from and you know what i'll often say to people is that we, we 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 often will know 
but we won't always. And I remember, I remember when I was a new parent and our son, you know, as a baby would cry and I'd ring, I'd ring the maternal and child helpline and I'd say, he's crying and I've tried feed, play, sleep and, you know, change, change nappy. And she, she said to me, she said, you know what? I know you really want to know why, but she said, it actually doesn't matter because we're going to do the same thing anyway. We're going to go through a series of steps and whether we know why or we don't, you know, we, we know what to do. And, uh, it was, it was quite a comforting thing to hear for me and you know I, I really like for people who become anxious to, to know that there are times that you're going to be very clear on why you feel the way you do and sometimes you might even be sort of rewind your thinking and go back to oh I've started to feel anxious what was I thinking about or what was I doing and then you can tap in other times the part of our brain that takes in information and, and detects threat in our environment um, there might be a smell, there might be a sound, uh, there might be a memory that, that triggers the anxiety that we might not have an awareness of. And so sometimes we don't know, but most certainly uh, COVID has created, and, and rightly so, because like, as you say, COVID is a real and genuine threat. Uh, we're very, very lucky here in Australia that, uh, you know, we still have to be vigilant, but that, that the threat is not what it once was for us, especially where we live in Victoria. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of things that, irrespective of what causes the anxiety, uh, there are a lot of things that we can do. And knowing that the physiology, our physiology changes instantaneously, almost instantaneously when anxiety shows up, uh, we can use our physiology to help to settle uh, the anxiety that we're feeling. and. One of the most profound ways that we can do that is through breath work. And uh, we understand that uh, certain breathing in certain patterns, uh, and I'll share those with you, uh, can uh, initiate the relaxation response. So essentially what happens when we're anxious is our brain has detected threat. Our whole body is being prepared for some sort of intense movement, fight the threat, flee the threat. Often there's freeze. Uh, that's a bit like sort of playing dead in front of a threat, doing nothing. And uh, that, that's very common also. And what the, what the brain needs to know is that we're safe. And so breath work is a way we can show our brain we are safe. Often when we're anxious, people will tell us we're okay, don't worry calm down. That's a big joke in our house. The old calm down. My husband used to say that. I used to love that. Not. Um, and so it's not about what we need we to can, hear. We it's- can distract ourselves, <laughs> can't we? Like We're like, okay, we're going to go and binge, you know, Bridgerton on Netflix or something. But it doesn't probably <laughs> really help us. Um, you know, almost like we can create unhealthy habits to, to kind of avoid what's going on. Yes. And, and that's the thing about anxiety is it's very uncomfortable. It's a horrible feeling. And yes, and sometimes and avoidance, avoidance goes hand in hand with anxiety. It really does. Um, but, you know, in the moment, if we can, number one, recognize I'm feeling anxious and it's good to put and that's OK. You know, at the end of that, I'm feeling anxious and that's OK. Uh, it's hard when we're anxious to often think what we need because part of our brain that helps us think logically is unavailable when we're highly anxious. So sometimes we might need a reminder. And sometimes, you know, when we're with someone who's anxious, for them to remind us to breathe is really powerful. That's the best way to help someone who's anxious and, and guide them to breathe. You know, nasal breathing in through the nose, out through the nose is important deep breathing where we're using you know the full range of our breath not just sort of the high shouldered you know we don't want to bring our shoulders up to our ears we want to really do the the deep diaphragmatic breathing and to really emphasize the exhale to slow our breathing down with a pause in between the in and the out breath and a really lovely way to think about a breathing to really show an anxious brain uh, that you're safe is a figure of eight. So if you sort of think about a, it's the infinity sign, you know, on the, you know, and a figure of eight on its side, sort of breathing in as you trace one loop of the eight, pause, breathing out as you trace the other loop of the 
figure of eight pause. Really extending that. I find the out breath. I did like a breath work um, course online last year, and I'm I'm, this is off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure the um, provider's called Both Yoga B O T B O T H Yoga, and it was a great course because I realised that you know my out breath was not you know as nice as long, and then also that really getting into the belly breathing like it was incredibly Mm. supportive i think for a lot of people last year so yes please please continue so kind of recognize and accept is what i'm hearing you say even if it's Mm. uncomfortable and then reminder to self or or someone else to breathe and you know getting sort of into some deeper longer in and out breathing through the nostril yeah Mm. it is and you know the first thing to do is to recognize you know and and when when we don't feel great we do often want to distract ourselves and so being okay with anxiety you know it's it's so counterintuitive but we we run and we struggle and we avoid and we we don't like it we don't want to feel we don't want to feel anything but good and calm and relaxed and peaceful and content and happy and yet you know they're part of the range of human emotions and you know, it, it's it's a total myth that anyone feels like that all the time. We feel a whole range of human emotions and our emotions are information for us and help us to understand our circumstances and make decisions, important decisions. And so first of all, being able to sort of recognize, okay, here I'm, I'm anxious and that's okay. All right. And, and knowing what you need. And, you know, when, when you become anxious, you know, for some people, you know, high intensity movement is what they'll need to do straight away and they'd rather do that before bringing some breathing in high intensity movement or movement of any kind it brings the fight or flight response uh to a a natural end i mean we are geared up to fight which is movement flee which is movement and so if we do something with all of that all of the changes in our physiology are gearing us up to do something to protect ourselves so if we move we can we can help to bring that uh all of those changes to an end more quickly and, and, of course, we know that there is no switch for anxiety. We can't just turn it off. And even though, you know, and, and gosh, my son did it to me the other day. He, he came up behind me and he grabbed me in this big, fast bear hug, which is beautiful and affectionate and fun. But, oh, my gosh, I hit the roof. And immediately my heart rate's up. My breathing rate's changing. I've, I've got immediately all hot and sweaty. And I just felt this dump of adrenaline. And, and my husband said to him, Remember, you can't do that to mum, you know, because it'll take 15, 20 minutes for that my system to sort of settle back down. So it does take time, but we do have, we don't have control over what's happened, but we, we can impact, you know, our reaction to our anxiety. We can uh, do things that help to sort of settle the system uh, more quickly and bring the parasympathetic, sorry, parasympathetic nervous system uh, back online uh, so that we, we head into that rest and digest mode rather than the fight or flight mode. I mean, Jody, I, I speak to a lot of leaders every week and I think it's almost become acceptable that we are operating in more of a reactive, you know, survival zone where dumps of, um, you know, adrenaline and, and being more in our sympathetic nervous system has become part of how many people are living and leading mm. week to week. Mm. I I mean, I know the cost to me, you know, but let's, you know, implications for us if that becomes, you know, our MO and it's not just something that we experience occasionally. Mm, It is. The implications are great. And I I just, uh, before elaborating, I I have to just... I have to just say to our listeners today that we are minding a border collie. We have two, I have two dogs behind me at the moment and they're both two. They're both having a tug of war at the moment. And so I do apologize for the noise. It's really joyful for me to have them playing like this. If I do lock my own dog outside or leave him inside when it's a podcast, no problem. But because we are minding someone else's dog, I don't know whether or not that might be upsetting for her. So we're very so. inclusive here at Go to Grow, and we're also real and messy and imperfect. So, oh, great. This, you know, as oh. achievers, 
it's it's difficult for us yeah. and therein lies our practice Jody so yeah rest exactly on. I'm being I'm being very accepting of this you know you know uh, less than controlled environment I'm in at the moment but um yeah look what 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 you were what you were saying before is that you know in terms of when, when we're in fight or flight we we're constantly at that sort of threshold of stress or even o- over and above that that threshold of anxiety and stress it it does eventually take its toll and you know my personal experience when I was I was my in my early professional life I was uh, teaching at uh, the local grammar school and I had unrecognized and untreated anxiety since childhood so my first symptoms of anxiety were in prep when I was four Uh, that continued my anxiety continued right through primary school and high school university and when I was teaching and of course uh, I didn't know I had anxiety I didn't even know what anxiety was and the way I reacted to things the way my body reacted the way I thought the worry the way I worried in my mind was all just a part of my personality and there was no you know problem so to speak and then as a teacher uh we had a we had a, a a big loss. My husband now of nearly twenty years. We were dating, and we had been for a number of years when his father passed away. So I think that was quite a trigger for me, and and we were all close. But uh, what what a, what that was sort of the trigger that that sent me into a a, de- a state of depression, a clinical depression, and eventually I sought help for the depression, and. In finding the right psychologist, which was the third psychologist, and we can come back to that, and starting to really talk through so many of my experiences, what we identified was that my untreated anxiety had really been a major contributor to that decline in my mental health. And the way he explained it to me back then was that eventually the system just can't cope. And so the system starts to shut down. And that experience of depression, you know, coming back to what you were saying earlier about empathy and compassion and, you know, the work that I do in organisations, helping people to understand and, you know, and manage mental health, not only manage mental health, but but also to, to thrive. And, uh, you know, in schools and, and with parents and the like, where I come from is from a place of, of you know, a professional understanding but also a very deep personal uh, mission to make sure that you know what I've experienced can help to inform others and uh, and it drives me to help other people to have the knowledge and the skills that they need and so yeah definitely when it's untreated and how you know what what sort of a life is that to live and you know I I really applaud the work that you do because you know, we don't know how long we've got. And, you know, I, 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 I hate to say this, but, you know, we, we, we do all expect and hope and dream that we'll live to, you know, hopefully with really excellent health, really excellent. That sounds like, who, who's that? Where did that come from? Really excellent. That's from one of those movies. I can't think of what it is. But with in excellent mental and physical health, we hope to live long, happy lives. But none of us know how long we've got. And so what are we waiting for if we're not making changes now to find the, you know, and balance is hard because I feel like we're sort of, you know, we're, we're more on a bit of a seesaw and that sometimes we'll, we'll be diving deeper into work and other times we'll be able to take breaks and there'll be times when the seesaw is more in the middle. But what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for some sort of a health event? Are we waiting for some sort of real light bulb moment and and I really encourage people not to wait for that 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 if you are experiencing that constant stress and feeling you know and that that affects every aspect of our lives our parenting our purpose our mental and physical health uh our you know professional success um our friendships all of our relationships what are we waiting for you know and so if you know, really encourage people. If you if you do feel as though that's you, um, you know, take a little bit of time out of, you know, the next few days to really sit and think about what it is that you need because you don't have to live at the threshold of stress for the rest of your life. And 
life's a lot, whole lot more fun <laughs> and enjoyable. And it doesn't mean to say that you, you're taking your foot off the professional pedal if you're really ambitious and looking to achieve a lot. No, but in in you, fact, it's often, you know, weirdly the opposite. And yeah. You know, I, I agree. So many people I speak to um, are afraid to take that little bit of time and sit sit down and in in some quiet space to think about what they really need. Mm. You know, we get so dis- disconnected from that, and I think many of us and many of the people I um, work with and speak to, we do wait for that crisis mm. until we recognise that in this case either. Our anxiety, it, it is becoming a problem for us in our life if mm. we if we don't support ourselves or that we are, in fact, on the path to burnout and we're recognising that, you know, that is propelling us to push ourselves harder and to beat ourselves up and to be in denial about that. So, yeah, it's a, I like your you're being very um, gentle about the way you're doing it, but I do appreciate you challenging us all in that way, not to settle and tolerate uh, for mm. a quality of life that, you know, isn't uh, making us feel alive more often, you know, which is why I, I often ask that question. Mm. It, it's it's such an important question to ask. And, you know, I, I guess I'm passionate, you know, I am passionate about it because I've been there, you know, I've, I've, and I've suffered the consequences, you know, I've suffered the consequences. And, you know, I think, you know, the anxiety was just my life. I didn't know I had anxiety. Uh, most of my life made much more sense after I started to learn more about anxiety as a patient, you know, as a, you know, in, in therapy with um, my amazing psychologist, but also, you know, as, as my professional learning extended. And so, you know, there's so much that we want you know we all have so many hopes and dreams for ourselves each and every single one of us you know not everybody talks about what their hopes and dreams are for their for their life but we all have them and you know we we are more we are more inclined to achieve what it is that we really hope for ourselves and for our families and our children and in our professional and personal lives when we have a sustainable model that we're working with and pedal to the floor and just, you know, is going to burn out the motor. And, and that can see a lot of people really having to take really large uh, passages of time away from what once gave them a sense of meaning and purpose just to heal and recover. You know, and I, I know when I experienced depression, I felt the lowest that a person can, can feel in that I didn't care if I didn't wake up. And that was, that was, it was just so painful to be, have such a hopeless feeling. And it, it, you know, it's sitting here sort of talking about it because I'm, my mental health is excellent. You know, I take great care of my mental health now and I've learned a lot from what I've been through. And, you know, I guess my hope is that other people don't have to get to a point where things get so low to really have to make changes, you know, that we can, you know, exercise is a huge part of my life and I think naturally that was how I managed my anxiety over my you know over my childhood and and uh, I realize now the difference it makes for me and I understand why it makes that difference and it is it's like a panacea it's a medicine for all of us in so many ways and yet you know it's it's something people wait for motivation to do you know whereas what if you were able to make that a regular part of your week even if it's just five minutes a day to start with and notice the difference that that makes and then weave that into your lifestyle. Um, you know, there's... Your, your why. Your why is clear for you. Even mm. though you were already exercising, it's like you had that in place for yourself unconsciously. But now your why around your physical and mental health and the connection between the physical and the emotional, you know, it really drives you to have a set of healthy habits in place. Yes. Yet this comes up so often in my guests, this idea of doing something little often. Mm. and not relying on motivation necessarily and mm. uh when we experience the contrast of how we of how we feel i mean you know if i go back about sort of three or so years ago when i was it, I, I i was in premature um perimenopause and i and you know the health professionals couldn't figure out what was going on it was like a two-year journey mm. and the get to the end of the week limp across the finish line and the weekends like tears 
Mm. Anger, like maybe I'm going to want to go and stab my husband in the face with a fork or just, you know, guilt and shame for feeling Mm. all of that. And this, I had this reoccurring thought constantly going through my head, which was, I hate my life. And from the outside, you know, here I am like with this great life, a gorgeous family, live in this beautiful place in this amazing community with a great career, you know, all of that. And I was like at a very low point. And I, I, you know, I appreciate now more deeply what that's like for people. And mm. I don't feel like that anymore. I'm still navigating the symptoms of menopause. And, you know, that, that still does present sometimes as anxiety for me. Mm. Um, but I don't have that, that, you know, that real deep feeling of almost hopelessness. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, it's, it's so interesting to hear your story and, you know, and it's so insightful for, for those of us. I mean, I'm, I'm closer to 50 than 40 and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, it's, you know, I just feel like I've blinked and, and now menopause is part of discussions, you know, that, that, that I'm involved in now. And, you know, and, and, you know, what, what you were saying before about on the, on the face, on the face of it, people would look at you and they would say, right, you know, happily married, you know, happy healthy children lovely community uh work she loves uh you know living in a place that's peaceful and calm and 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 beautiful people around her and 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 it's the most fascinating thing to be able to look at the circumstances of someone's life and they all look like they're going to add up to happiness and joy and contentment and peace and fulfillment and yet they don't and and i i felt the same way I've, i've really felt the same way that and I, I didn't think people would believe me and that people would look at well, me. Well, I don't think they always did. I think no. people didn't really want to hear it because it didn't resonate for them. It didn't match up with no. um, the, uh, the, the the version of, of me that they know, the strong, capable person. Yes. And also it's confronting, right, because, you know, like many of us, I'd normalised high levels of stress. So mm. then I held back from sharing it as well because... Mm. You know, it didn't, yeah, it didn't stack up for people. So it, then that's a even, you know, more depleting cycle, right? Yes, it is. It is. And it's it's such a lesson to us. And, you know, it's quite controversial, but Sonia Lyubomirsky uh, and, and her colleagues created what's called sort of like the happiness pie chart uh, some years ago. And, and, uh, and she, you know, a lot of people have since said, oh, it's a bit simplistic, but it's, it's a, it's a really great insight into what contributes to our happiness and sense of fulfillment and well-being. And, you know, if you think about a pie, a circle, uh, and, uh, you know, we look at 50% of that, a line down the middle, 50% is really our genes and our upbringing because, you know, much of our mental health, well-being, happiness and set point and the like come from our upbringing, you know, what was sort of programmed into us as kids and, and the genetics that we've been dealt and that's unchangeable for us as adults. It's changeable for us as parents in, in the sense that we can influence that in our kids. And then we've got another part of the pie, which is a, um, a, a 10% of the pie. And that's, you know, according to this research, uh, our circumstances, our marit- marital status, our race, where we live, our financial circumstances, our home, do we have children, what's our job, what's our health, et cetera, et cetera. And that leaves 40% for uh, how we think and what we do. And this, this original, when this research came out, you know, the idea was that our circumstances contribute a whole lot less to our overall happiness and well-being than we uh, give them credit for, I suppose. And whilst, again, you know, this research has been, uh, you know, widely discussed in the literature as to whether or not it's a, it's a bit of a simplistic point of view, and I agree that it is, but certainly what we do know is that our circumstances contribute less than what we think they do. And yet so much of what we do in our lives is trying to change and influence our circumstances, trying to earn more money, trying to get the next pat on the back or the bigger house or the bigger car or the better thermomix or whatever it is, you know, circumstances, changing our circumstances. Uh, yet it's, it's how we think and what we do. It's the action that we take. It's the gratitude. It's a sense of meaning and purpose. It's the movement. It's the, 
um, you know, the way we think about, you know, the positivity ratio in our life. There's so much that we can influence that can improve our circumstances. Yet for people like yourself, like when you, you, you know, were burned out and, and experiencing, you know, so many lows and really wondering what life was all about, your circumstances on the face of it were circumstances other people would give their right arm for. And so it's, you know, it, and that, that was my experience as well. And I was a bit, I was hesitant to sort of really tell many people that I was experiencing depression. I was so depressed. I was still living at home. I was one of these kids that didn't leave home until much later than she should have. You know, I was sort of mid-20s and uh, thank goodness I was at home because I could be cared for. But to be literally not caring if I went to sleep and never woke up again when the circumstances of my life, you know, were extraordinarily good. And it, it gives you a real insight, doesn't it? And it really changes your perspective. And, you know, it makes you really think about what is meaningful and purposeful for me in my life, what matters. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, when I, when I went through that, it really, it was a very early lesson in my life that stuff didn't matter. And I, at the time, was driving a sporty red coupe because I was living at home with a disposable income. <laughs> and I thought a sports car would be very cool and fun. And it was, but that wears off. And that's the same with every time we change our circumstances, we've got that this hedonic adaptation. And this is what I'm trying to teach my kids and when I talk about happiness in workplaces and schools is that yes circumstances do make you feel great when they change for the better but it wears off it's not sustainable and this is what I tried to teach our daughter when she kept wanting beanie boos I was trying to help her reflect on the fact that you are so excited about this new beanie boo and she only got gifted them if it was a birthday or Christmas otherwise she saved her pocket money and I was just helping her, without being a real party pooper, recognize that the beanie boo comes, the happiness spikes, it wears off, and we want the next beanie boo. And, you know, it's really a metaphor for, for most of us. We can all look at things in our life that we look to to sort of fill that need, but that's really, that's not, that's not the answer. And um, oh, I'm just picturing yeah. Christmas morning. In yeah. this house, no matter even we try and drip feed the presents, ripped open, looked at, enjoyed, thrown aside. And now, look, yeah. I'm overstating a bit, but it is a great analogy. Mm. And I also sort of think the, I don't know, silver lining, if you like, is, you know, well, I can only speak for myself. So, you know, I, I didn't go through an energy crisis and a really challenging time to not take the opportunity to explore, you know, what my purpose and mission and what it's all about for me, you know, and I yeah. think that is on the other side for many who are perhaps in a, in a challenging time right now, that, that opportunity is there. Um, I'd love to wrap up with, you know, your, your point there around what we can do and what we can, uh, you know, influence in our daily life versus, this external orientation on on the circumstances, many of which are not in our control, whether that be timing or how things work out all the time, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I, you know, I know you've got a number of books. Um, you support, you know, parents and mums and and kids. But I love this book that you co-authored with Michael Gross, the um, Anxious Kids, and I've just got it in my hand here. Mm. There's a a little excerpt that I'd like to read because I just think it's a practical thing and it links to many of the things that I have um, shifted for myself over the years and that we talk about on this podcast. And it's, uh, it's chapter nine here on page 133. And, and you say, can you recall how you woke up this morning? When you first shook your head and cleared the sleep from your eyes, what did you tune into? Did you think about the day ahead or did you check in to see how you felt about the day ahead? Perhaps you did both. It's our experience, backed by the audiences we speak to, that most people begin planning the day when their feet hit the floor each morning. Very few lower their attention to the emotional level just to check in how they feel about the day ahead. Have you woken up nervous or agitated? Have you woken up feeling happy, 
enthusiastic and motivated? Do you even know? Mm-hmm. It's just such a simple thing, you know, and one of these big shifts for me over the years, and I, I call it now rolling, not scrolling, you know, is this, you know, I used to just get out of bed and, you know, you'd pick up the phone yeah, and straight away cortisol, you know, mm. reacting, right? And now whether it's just rolling into something as simple as some breathing, a cup of tea, something to try and, you know, ground and, and check in a little bit, but also acknowledging that some of those feelings, they're not all everyday positive on like, you know, how the day is going to be, but just such a practical thing to check in on how we feel about the day ahead. I love that. Mm, it is, it is. Gosh, I mean, I, I, I remember listening to somebody on a, on a podcast uh, not so long ago and, and they said, do you check your phone before or after you've been to the toilet when you wake up? You know, it's not like, when do you, it's like, is it before or after you've been to the toilet? You know, do you touch your phone before you touch your husband or your wife or your partner or, you know, and, and, you know, it is, it is a programming that we can fall into. And yet being in tune with ourselves is, is, gives us such insights into how we can manage our energy and how we feel and what we need. And so having just having an awareness, having having the awareness and having a even just a, a reminder a few times a day just to check in and how are you feeling and knowing that all feelings are okay and that if we don't feel good, we don't have to immediately try to do something to change that, that we can recognize it, we can practice an acceptance and just make room for how we feel. Not acceptance in the fact that we have to sort of tolerate it and put up with it, but just a willingness to feel what we feel and let whatever's happening flow through us. Um, going back to sort of what we were saying earlier, that avoidance is that when we don't feel good, that's when we can often reach for, you know, something to eat or something to drink or a distraction of sorts, a Netflix binge. And, you know, but but really if we can uh, have a willingness to sort of accept some of those, you know, all, all things that we feel, knowing that, you know, no feeling is final, uh, and, and particularly in the morning, I think too, like you say, rolling, not scrolling to, to wake up and just totally. tune in a little bit, <clears throat> tune I, in. I've learned, I, you know, disconnecting is really hard, really uncomfortable. You know, like I do this tech Sabbath thing now every Friday night till Saturday night and it's, it's you mm. know, it's uncomfortable. But I'm just going to challenge all of our Grow Tribe and our listeners is that disconnect to connect with self just could start with getting your phones out of the bedroom you know go to kmart buy yourselves a clock radio and (laughs) uh get that excuse out of the bedroom so Mm. i love that connection to energy that you made there with the mornings and i totally agree and i just really appreciate all your wisdom today i will link your site uh and i will just call out to everyone listening you know there's a number of books we didn't specifically talk about mums we didn't specifically talk about kids or parents I think we kind of covered uh, everyone really in this discussion today. Mm. So thank you so much, um, Jody. And uh, you go and wrangle those puppies now. <laughs> Actually, funnily enough, as luck would have it, they've stopped right when we're about to wind up. So isn't that oh, lovely? Are we time for a nap. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't thank it? Thank you, Mel. Yeah, thank have you, Mel. Have a great so week, much everyone. Keep keep breathing and get those phones out of the bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the Grow Tribe. It would be amazing if you shared this podcast with others at home, at work, gave it a rate and review in Apple Podcasts and shared any ideas about what you want to hear more about or who you want to hear from. I love to hear your updates. If you're interested in learning about how to become a Chief Energy Officer, you're looking to fuel your impact and your performance, could be you, could be your team, have a look at the link in the show notes about where to start And as always, drop me an email if you're looking for any support or you've got any insights that you want to share on growth. It's melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at go2grow.com.au. Thanks, everyone.